prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. The land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, and Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Thanks for reading, Jack, and um, morning again, everyone. Good to see you. Uh, Let me add my welcome to Jack's. Uh, We're going to be looking at that passage, as he said, so please keep it open. I'm going to pray again uh, for God's help as we come to his words. Father, we pray this morning that you would help each one of us to hear the words of Jesus and to respond in repentance and in faith for the glory of your name. Amen. Well, imagine a day when the hospital beds are empty and the ambulances are parked up and the GP surgeries are silent and the funeral directors are out of work. It's quite hard to imagine, isn't it? And yet the reading that we just had from Matthew's Gospel tells us about such a day. When Jesus began his public ministry teaching, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, we're told that he healed every disease and sickness. Every disease and sickness. Matthew lists them out for us, those who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed. They were all brought to Jesus, and he healed them. What we're seeing in these miracles, this healing, this eradication of all kinds of sickness is a glimpse of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. That's our first point this morning. A thrilling claim, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven has come near. In this passage, we have the first recorded words of Jesus, at least his first public words. Last week, we heard him address the devil, the tempter. 
But these are his first public words. And there are three key phrases in what Jesus says that is going to guide us through the passage. There's a thrilling claim. The kingdom of heaven has come near. There's a radical call. Repent. Come follow me. And there's a life-shaping promise. I will make you fishers of people. So firstly, a thrilling claim. The kingdom of heaven has come near. It's an interesting start to the passage, verse 12, isn't it? When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. But this isn't a withdrawal out of cowardice. Jesus is withdrawing to a specific place, to Capernaum. We're told it's in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali in order to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Remember, that's one of the key themes in Matthew's gospel, fulfillment, how Jesus is the fulfillment of all God's promises in the Old Testament. So Jesus is making his way to the place of fulfillment in order to begin his public ministry. See, the news that John has been put in prison, you know, I was thinking if I heard Christian preachers around Adelaide were being put in prison, I would be sorely tempted to kind of give up my job and find other employments. But no, Jesus hears that John has been put in prison. It's not cause for him to give up his plans for a public ministry. Rather, it's the catalyst for him to begin. And his message is exactly the same as John's. Word for words. If you look back to the beginning of chapter 3. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, I think that phrase is easily misunderstood. When it says it has come near, it doesn't mean that it's close by but it's still on its way no the kingdom of heaven has come near it's here because the king of the kingdom has arrived to use the language of Isaiah the light has come it has dawned the people in living in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death a light has dawned. Jesus has come, bringing the light and the blessing of God's rule and reign. God's rule and reign. That's what the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is. The kingdom of God is his rule, his reign. Kingdom of God isn't primarily talking about a place. That's what we tend to think of, isn't it? You know, the United Kingdom, kingdom of Brunei, That's my knowledge of kingdoms around the world. But, you know, a place, it's not primarily talking about a place. It's talking about God's rule, his reign. So Artie France says in his brilliant commentary on Matthew, Jesus' declaration, the kingdom of heaven has arrived, might be paraphrased as God's promised reign is beginning. God's promised reign is beginning. Or God is now taking control. Now, That's a bit confusing, isn't it? Because, of course, God is the king of the world. He is in control. He always has been. But it's also true that not everything is as God would have it. God, in his wisdom, allows things to happen in his world that are not according to his will. The promise of the kingdom of God is the promise of God's rule being fully implemented, fully embraced. The Old Testament doesn't use the phrase kingdom of God very often, but everyone in Jesus' day would have known what he's talking about. This hope, this promise of a time to come when God's kingdom, his rule would come to the earth, 
when God's will would be done on the earth even as it is in heaven. And so what Jesus says here is very, very, very exciting. The kingdom of heaven has come near. All your hopes, all your longings, all God's promises are being fulfilled. Isaiah 9 was just one such promise. If you remember, if you came to the carol service, we looked at it there. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, and isn't that all of us? A light has dawned, bringing the defeat of death, bringing abundant joy and celebration, bringing the cessation of war. That's all in Isaiah 9, true, lasting peace. And these amazing promises, death defeated, abundant joy, lasting peace, we're told they will be brought to fulfillment through a baby boy. Unto us a child is born. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be the ruler that this world needs to sort out the mess, to put things right. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And we're told of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign as king forever. And so from Isaiah 9, 700 BC or so, we're looking forward to someone whose birth will be unmistakable, celebrated for generations, someone who will teach with unparalleled wisdom, someone who will act with all the power of Almighty God, doing the kind of things only God can do, someone who will act with fatherly compassion and care. Someone who will be the Prince of Peace, bringing shalom, wholeness, restoring God's blessing to his broken world. Someone who will triumph over death itself to reign forever. Does it sound like anyone you know? Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven has come near. It's a thrilling claim. And the snapshot that we get at the end of our reading shows Jesus isn't just talk. He announces the arrival of the kingdom, then he eradicates disease. Hospital beds empty, ambulances, you know, whatever they had in the first century parked up. And there's more to come. As we read on in Matthew's gospel, we'll hear the beauty and the brilliance of his teaching. We'll see him reaching out with compassion and care to sinners and sufferers. We'll see him demonstrate his divine authority over disease and disaster, over demons and death. We'll see him die and rise, never to die again. In the life of Jesus, his teaching, his miracles, we see a glimpse of the kingdom. This is what the rule of Jesus looks like. This is what it looks like when Jesus is in charge. Don't you want to be part of that? Don't you want to be part of a kingdom of truth and justice, mercy and forgiveness? A kingdom where sickness and suffering are no more. Where there's no more mourning or crying or pain. Where the hungry are fed, the disabled are healed. Where God will wipe away every tear and bind up every broken heart. Now at this point you might be thinking, if Jesus said the kingdom of heaven has arrived, where is it? Where, where's the shalom? Where's the blessing? The hospital beds are still packed 
and the funeral directors are still employed? The answer to that question is that Jesus explained in his teaching that the kingdom is both now and not yet. There's a sense in which the kingdom has come. It's here. It's wherever people have come in under Jesus' rule. Where is the kingdom of God today? It's here in the church. The, the church is called to make the kingdom of God tangible to the world. Called to be a community of truth and justice, mercy and forgiveness. A community that brings relief to the sick and suffering. Comfort to the bereaved. Food to the hungry. There's a real sense in which the kingdom of God is a present reality. As people come in under the good rule of Jesus, they receive forgiveness of their sins. They receive the, the righteousness of Christ, as we were thinking last week. They receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The assurance that death has been defeated and is no longer something to fear. They come into life. Fullness of life. The, the loving relationship they were made for. Adopted as sons and daughters of God himself. The kingdom is now, but there's also a sense in which the kingdom is not yet. It hasn't come in fullness yet. We, we've seen a glimpse of that fullness in the miracles of Jesus, but his rule has not yet been fully implemented. We're still waiting for that day. We're still praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. And Jesus promised he would come again. And when he comes again, his kingdom will be fully established forever. And you might think, why the delay? Why wait? And the answer to that question is to give more people the opportunity to be part of it. Because being part of Jesus' wonderful kingdom of blessing is not an automatic thing. There's a response required. It's what Jesus, the first word of Jesus' ministry is repent. The kingdom of heaven has come near, therefore repent. It's our second point. A radical call, the required response, repent, come follow me. We thought about repentance a few weeks ago, and I encourage you to go back and listen to that talk if you missed it, Preparing for the King. Repentance is the required response. It's the, requ it's the response that makes sense. We've seen already in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus has been anticipated as king. Remember the, the family tree? He's been announced as king. Remember the, the words of the angel? He's been worshipped as king. Remember the magi coming? He's been identified as king, remember John the Baptist. He's been tested as king, remember the temptations we were thinking about last week. The king of the kingdom has arrived, the kingdom of heaven is here, therefore repent, submit, surrender, turn from any rival rulers and receive Jesus as your king. Repentance is... Uh, literally, it means a change of mind, but it's more than that. Re repentance is a changed mind that leads to changed action. I no longer go my own way, doing whatever I want. 
I'm under new management. I have a new leader, a new Lord. See, Jesus doesn't say repent and follow God's commands, but repent and follow me. Literally, come behind me. Make me your leader and your Lord. Because the Christian life is not just about an adherence to a set of rules and practices. It's about an all-of-life commitment to the person of Jesus. The person who says, I haven't got time to fit Jesus into my busy schedule, has missed the point. To be a Christian doesn't mean including Jesus in the list of priorities and activities in your life. It is to bring all your priorities and activities under his lordship. So it's not that I have time for my work, nine to five, or my uni studies, school, and then I have time with my family, and then I have time for myself, and I have time for Jesus on Sunday morning. Rather, I am to follow Jesus in all of my life. Follow Jesus in my work as I work as for him, seeking to honor Jesus and love others through the work that I do. I'm to follow Jesus in my home life as I seek to love and serve my wife and family. I'm to follow Jesus at the gym and at the pub and as I catch up with friends for a coffee. Jesus doesn't come with a gentle request that we squeeze him into our busy schedule if possible. No, he comes with a radical call. He comes as the king of God's kingdom, calling us to repent. A 180 degree turn. Come and follow me. Make me your number one priority. Make me your everything. You see it in the response of the first disciples, don't you? As they leave everything, their nets, their boats, their father, to follow Jesus. Now, does that mean all Christians are to leave their jobs and become pastors or missionaries? No. Does it mean that every believer is to make Jesus their master and follow him wherever he leads? Yeah, it does. It may not mean we change our place of work. It will certainly mean we change our priorities at work. We're disciples of the king. In the baptism service, this question is asked. Will you each, by God's grace, strive to live as a disciple of Christ, loving God with your whole heart and your neighbors as yourself until your life's end? In the context here, repentance is about stepping out of the darkness, coming into the light. Repentance is a positive thing. Yeah, we often think of it as something negative. You know, repent! But it's a positive thing. Some people think if they turn to Jesus, it will ruin their lives. They won't be able to have any fun. That is precisely not the case. Repentance is coming out of the darkness, out of the shadows. It's about coming into the light, coming, coming into true life, finding true purpose. I, I wonder what is it that keeps us from following Jesus? What is it that keeps us from following Jesus fully? I suspect for many of us there's still some 
fear over entrusting our lives to Jesus. Giving up control, giving up the securities that we have, it's risky. Can I really trust him? But as soon as you ask that question, you realize how silly it is. Can I trust him? The one who is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Can I trust the the one who left his father all the glory and security of heaven, who came to seek me out to save me, who endured the ultimate darkness that I might know light. How could I not trust the king who endured the cross out of his great love for me? So a thrilling claim, the kingdom of heaven has come near, a a required response, a radical call, repent, come follow me, all of life. Thirdly, a life-shaping promise, I will make you fishers of people. Come follow me and I will make you fishers of people. Jesus calls his followers to do exactly what he himself has been doing, to help people become followers. And again, when you think about it, it's the only response that makes sense. If the kingdom of heaven has come near, well, that's the best news ever. And good news is always to be shared. If Jesus is the king who calls all people to turn to him, then it's the most important thing in the world, how we respond to him. And so we're to be those who help others hear of Jesus that they might become followers themselves. Notice that to be a follower is to be a fisher. It's our identity. We talk sometimes about our gospel identity, our Christian identity, and there's a number of facets to that. I'm a a child of God. I'm a brother or sister in the family. I'm a a worshiper. I'm a servant of Jesus. I'm a disciple. I'm a follower. I'm also a fisher. And we don't often include that in our list, do we? But it's here in Jesus' first words. I will make you fishers of people. The NIV, I know I'm not reading it as the NIV does. It tries to make it easier to understand. I will send you out to fish for people. But in the original Greek, there's no verb to fish. There's no verb to send out. It's a noun. Fisherman. I will make you fishermen of men, people. And so literally it reads, Simon and Andrew were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishermen of people. You might think, verb, noun, you know, does it really make any difference? I think there is something significant. Jesus isn't just sending us out to do something. He's promising to make us into something. Fishers of people. He's giving us a new identity. For the first disciples, they were fishermen. That was part of their identity. Jesus is giving them a new identity. Fishers of men. And it's related to that other identity we talk about more often, being a witness to Jesus. We talk about that a bit more, don't we? 
But I think being a fisher implies something a bit different. If we're fishers, I think it implies there'll be results. See, if you're a witness, then your identity is fulfilled. Your, your responsibility is fulfilled by speaking about Jesus regardless of the results. But if you're a fisherman, I think it implies you're going to catch something. You're not really fulfilling your identity if you're simply casting nets into the water but nev never bringing anything in. Now, that is not something to be scared by, not something to feel kind of pressure to make yourself into a different person. It's not like the results depend on you. It's a promise. I wishes of people. Jesus will take me as the person I am with my own personality, my gifts, my weaknesses and imperfections, and he will cause me to be someone who helps others to see him and to hear his call and become followers and fishers themselves. I don't know what you think about that idea that being a fisherman implies results. We can talk about it more, but I wonder if our response needs to be to believe that promise, to believe that Jesus can take you as the person you are. And you don't have to suddenly adopt a new personality. But he's going to take you as you are in the situations you're currently in and make you someone who helps others come to him. So Jesus' first words, a thrilling claim. Something to get excited about. The kingdom of heaven has come near. It's, it's now, it's not yet, but it has come near and the future is secured. A, a radical call. It's the only response that makes sense. Repent, turn to Jesus, come and follow him. And a life-shaping promise. I will make you fishers of people. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for these words of Jesus. And we thank you for him, that he has come as the king of the kingdom. And that in his kingdom, in his coming, the kingdom has arrived. It has come near. We know that it hasn't come fully. We're still waiting. We're still praying and longing for that day when Jesus returns and his kingdom is fully established. But we thank you that the kingdom is now that you have graciously brought many of us in under his wonderful rule to enjoy the blessings of the kingdom, the, the light and life that Jesus brings, forgiveness of sins, the gift of the Spirit, sure and certain hope for the future. Father, we hear his call to repent, to come follow him, whether that's something we've, we've done years ago or yet to do. Help us to hear that call afresh today and to respond. And we thank you for his promise that he will take us as the people we are with all our strengths and weaknesses, that he will make us fishers of people. Help us to believe that promise. Help us to, to pray and live knowing that that promise is true. 
And help us, we pray, to, to see you working through us to draw many more people to your Son to find life in his name. Amen.